Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Josh Neighbors, 365 Sports, the Big 12 watch. Big 12 with a really good weekend. And even the game with BYU and West Virginia with some implications. But then there's K-State, Texas, Iowa State, Kansas, and Oklahoma State, and OU in Bedlam, and Josh joins us, Craig and Paul. I'm David Smoke. Josh, of those three, which is the one you would want to go watch in person? I think you'd have to do the last version of Bedlam, right? Because just the, I think the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. And uh, I think the intrigue, too. I, I, I wonder about Oklahoma's chances to still maybe make a college ball playoff. I don't think the team is that quality, but still, you know, their chances to. Uh, you know, win 10 games, win 10, 11 games. I mean, we thought the schedule would be pretty easy, and now, you know, uh, it's gotten harder for them. And Ollie Gordon, obviously, too, on a Barry Sanders-type heater. So I think seeing somebody who's that hot against a team with that much on the line for Oklahoma, uh, under the Big 12 circumstances right now, in a rivalry like this last time around in Stillwater, is just it's too good of an opportunity to, to pass up. And, uh, I mean, I, I think, too, Mike Gundy's lost this game a whole lot, but um, – you know, I think a lot of folks would, would forgive him for a lot of those losses if they get this one done tomorrow. The, the most games that, at least for the foreseeable, foreseeable future in their history, that they won against Oklahoma could be 20. If they win tomorrow, that would give them their 20th win in 128 tries or whatever it is against OU. Is Oklahoma playing bad enough right now to where you think that this game could get away from them, or do the last two weeks wake them up a little bit? It's a combination. It's, you know, it has to wake you up when you come off, you know, you come off that performance yet against Texas. And then ever since then, even after the bye, they're, they've kind of gone downhill. And, you know, I remember watching that UCF game a few weeks ago and, and Dusty Dvorak was on it. He was talking about the Oklahoma run defense. And while numerically it, it, it hasn't been terrible, there are some gaps in it. And UCF exposed it a bit. Kansas really did a good job exposing it. And, I mean, they're so good. Uh, and exposing the, the weaknesses. That's really what KU does well. They've got a variety of guys who are really good, but the scheme is what allows them to do it, getting those guys in those spots. This challenge tomorrow is, is a different kind, though, right? Because, you, you know, and, and look, Oklahoma State, they do a few things to, to make it, you know, look tricky sometimes, but they run a lot of counter and a lot of zones. So it's, it's, not, it's not too complicated. And Oklahoma kind of knows what's coming at them. And it's strange because we see these games where, a Kansas takes on a Texas or an OU and their best shot is you have to 
scheme and try to, you know, make things even because physically uh, you don't have an advantage. But last week, guys, I couldn't tell much of a difference. Kansas, Kansas looked up to the challenge physically against Oklahoma. And that's not something that we've seen in a while. And for an offensive line that's blocking this well for Oklahoma State, uh, I mean, I, I am a little worried for them. But at the same time, too, if Oklahoma find, you know, finds a way to, to stop the run a bit, I mean, Oklahoma State, their, their day could be short, too, because Alan Bowman, you know, they haven't had to put a game on him yet. And if they do, I don't really feel very confident in saying, hey, that's the guy who can go win you a big ball game like Bedlam. Uh, he hasn't had to be that guy yet. I mean, maybe he could. Who knows? But I think the big story is he hasn't had to be that guy yet. and That's kind of the strategy for them. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's some concerns on both sides. But Oklahoma State is the, is the peaking team for sure right now. Uh, but I feel like Oklahoma has more paths to a victory compared to Oklahoma State. All right, so down in Austin, got K-State and Texas, another huge one on a, a massive weekend for the Big 12 schedule and, and implications and whatnot. Uh, clearly, uh, K-State's feeling you know pretty good about the way that they've just been destroying people the last couple of weeks, the two-quarterback system and all that jazz. But going down to Austin, I feel like home field matters here, Josh, but uh, what were your thoughts on Malik Murphy, and, and what are your, your uh, I guess, uh, balance is as far as like – who favors what and where and how when it comes to the game uh, tomorrow in Austin? Yeah, so the one thing Texas has done exceptionally this year is stop the run. Nobody has really run the football on them except for Dylan Gabriel. But I don't, I don't look at the Dylan Gabriel performance and think about that in terms of like a super repeatable. I mean, if anybody were able to do it, maybe it's the combination of Will Howard and also Avery Johnson, who is a tremendous runner. But nobody really does that that well. I mean, the against Texas front. And that's the one thing about they want to be the more physical team. Texas on the defensive line has been really I mean, better than most of the teams they've played uh, offensive line-wise this year. So that's the one concern. But you do have to think, hey, man, if you are able to make some plays, look, BYU's defense made a few plays last week against Malik Murphy. Uh, you're in good shape. I am curious, though, how much did Sark keep in, in his bag for this week, right? BYU is, is not a – you know, they're five and three, sure, but it's not a really good football team. And so I think that they knew that they kind of, you know, hide some stuff and, and, and you know, hide some weaknesses and, and not take as many chances, I guess, last week. This week they might have to, right? Will Howard and company and, and Avery Johnson and uh, the way that offense is working right now, both quarterbacks might be able to put you in a few more trickier situations. So uh, I'm wondering, you know, are they hiding stuff? Uh, you know, are, are they keeping some stuff left in reserve? But also, too, do they even have that luxury? Like, are they concerned about what they can run with Malik Murphy at this point? He's got tremendous physical tools. They did not use him as much of as, as a runner last week. Um, as a passer, you can still do some things. I also think it speaks to the quality of Quinn Ewers and, and kind of just he's, he's a really good operator of that offense. And there is a very apparent difference when those two guys are playing uh, but Jonathan Brooks for them is the bell cow. And I think regardless of who's playing quarterback, everything starts with them trying to run the ball, trying to establish him, and they build off everything from there. Uh, I'm wondering, though, if in the game script to start things off first 15 plays, maybe they go a bit more on Murphy just to get him in the flow of things. But I think in the end of the day, it's, it's going to come back to Brooks. They're going to try to run the football. And then also, too, we'll see if Murphy's forced into making some more challenging, difficult throws. Okay, let's talk through this Kansas and Iowa State game a little bit, Josh, because I'm a little I, I'm I'm puzzled on this one. I, 
part of me leans towards picking Iowa State because they're at home. They're very, you know, an efficient team. Uh, while nothing spectacular, and Ames is a tough place to play. But I just feel like Kansas has more to to go with right now. So that's why I pick Kansas. Tell me why I'm right or wrong. Well, this one's really, really challenging to handicap because Kansas football doesn't have many big wins. Uh, and they had one of the biggest in program history last week. And so Lance Leipold is an unbelievable coach, but I'm not even sure Lance can keep his team from a letdown. And I mean, going to Jack Trice Stadium is like the ultimate letdown spot. There's a reason why Iowa State's favorite. If you take this thing from a personnel standpoint, even with Jason Bean, quarterback, you know, for Kansas, he's a backup. But still, you know, you think about what's happening on the other side of things. Like Iowa State's roster, it's weird to say this, but Kansas State has a better roster. Iowa State's playing really well, though, and, and defensively, they've been great. And overall, in terms of totals, they have the most efficient defense in the conference. I think if you just take conference games, they're third. But they've got three back-to-back-to-back uh, double-digit wins. And, look, it's over bottom teams on some of them, excuse me. But, uh, I mean, we thought Iowa State would be a bottom team, and they're not. I mean, if, if you're handling lesser opponents and taking care of your business, that means, you know, you're not a bottom team. And, look, guys, there's a chance for Matt Campbell's crew to get to six wins. And, I, you know, even after the Ohio – like, forget the beginning of the season, after the Ohio loss and Matt Campbell's yelling at a fan, you know, on the, on the side of the, of the those – really flimsy ropes or whatever. I mean, how how long ago does that feel now that Iowa State's on the verge of making a bowl game? And, guys, if they win tomorrow, they're going to be tied with, you know, potentially one or two other teams uh, for first place in the Big 12 with three weeks left in the season, which I think on on its own deserves Coach of the Year, you know, consideration. Um, so I'm leading Iowa State in this game because it's a really difficult spot for Kansas. I, I don't know how much of an emotional, physical uh, kind of letdown there's going to be, but, man, it's hard to beat a team like Oklahoma and have all that happen and go on the road next week against an Iowa State team that's just playing as well as they have been. And here's the thing, too, guys. If the game's in the line in the fourth quarter, I know he led a game-winning drive last week, but Jason Bean's not been very good. I mean, he's very lucky he got the ball back last week and it got a chance to go and take the lead because those interceptions, he was seeing some ghosts out there. And that's not the you know that's not uncommon. I mean, we saw it against Oklahoma State. Same thing happened for him. So, um, you know, he's he's not been the best under the most pressure-filled situations so far. And Iowa State and Jack Trice Stadium. I mean, they can they can put the pressure on you. So I'm leading Iowa State for that reason. Although I think Kansas has a better roster and better players. So some history will be made in Cincinnati. Either the uh, Bearcats, the hometown team, are going to get their first Big 12 win, or UCF's going to get their first Big 12 win. Um, what are your thoughts here, Josh, on, on the Knights versus the Bearcats in uh, somebody's got to win their first Big 12 game contest? Uh, ironically, right, uh, either Cincinnati or UCF's going to win their first Big 12 game against somebody, you know, an American yeah. team, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Look, uh, in no circumstance, and I've told Paul this basically every Friday, well, I picked on Emory Jones. If you're going to let him roll out there as quarterback, my money will be, it, it is every week, against him. And, hey, maybe he'll win one eventually. I don't know. But you can't keep trotting Emory Jones out there and expecting to win Power 5 football games. It's not going to work. It hasn't worked yet. And uh, last time it did against Pitt. And, guys, that was a long time ago. It was the second week of the season. So, um, you know, I, I think this is, a, this is a weird spot, though, because UCF's been playing some decent ball at times. But – Look, they're learning, too. Like, they've got really good skill players. I think 
you know, you think about Harvey and, and Townsend and, uh, you know, Baker. I mean, all of these guys they have, these dudes all play at a power five level. They're power five players. The problem for them is the trenches, the defense, the tackling. They're just – it felt like last week they were in a tough time getting off the, the field on third downs and coverage and whatnot. And, look, John Ray Plumley was pretty effective last week for the most part, but every throw he missed at one point of the game was an interception. I think he was 16 of 19 at one point with three picks. So, you know, I, I trust the playmakers on the UCF side a lot more than I trust Cincinnati, although I think Cincinnati fans are probably frustrated because it feels like in a lot of games for them this year, they've been better than some of the teams that they've played. The results just have not been there for them. So uh, I will take UCF, and I, I'm and hey, if Cincinnati wins the game, sure, but I'm gonna take UCF. Gus Malzahn, I think, better coach, better quarterback, and uh, at this point in time, you know, it, it's just hard to pick on pick Emory Jones. Look, the one thing you say about John Rice Plumley is that if he throws the ball to somebody, he's going to catch it. You know, it's not going to hit the ground. Uh, okay, Josh, what are your thoughts on TCU and Tech last night? That's some of the worst tackling I've seen in a, in a football game in a long time. I mean, it was, you know, they were playing off. And, like, when you play off, you want to be able to finish the play. And it was, I mean, it was an old school big yeah. I'll say this about Texas Tech. That's when they had to have, and I'm, I'm not too worried about Texas Tech and Joe McGuire and whatnot, and I think that they've just, their decision to run the football more often now is a smart one that they need to carry forward into the future because that pace and just chucking it is not the right decision all the time. And that pace, and you, know, you can run it some too, but running it with the quarterback as much as they did is not going to work because they've had a, I mean, they played six quarterbacks in the last two years and have had a bunch of quarterbacks go down. And Morton finally looked healthy last night. His shoulder looked good. I thought he took care of the ball pretty well uh, last, you know, yesterday. And Xavier White had a really nice game, too. So good win for Tech. On the TCU side of things, man, that defense was supposed to be a strength. And it just has not been. I actually think Josh Hoover is going to end up being pretty, pretty good wherever he goes. Um, but TCU needs to address that quarterback spot in the portal, I think, or at least give some competition. I think Hoover's good. He just threw... I mean, that last interception was appalling, mm. uh, absolutely appalling. But you remember the kid's 18, right? Or 19, whatever he is. He's a freshman. So he's, he's got the ability to operate that offense, I think. Um, and I was surprised because they couldn't run the ball effectively. And we know Kendall Bryles, you know, as much as they veer and shoot and they, they like pace too, that is, a, that is an offense that wants to run the ball, as you all know very, very well. And they were not able to do it last night. So the fact that Hooper was good enough to keep him in the game is good, but – I think if Hoover stays, you got to bring him in for stiff competition. Once again, he's a freshman, so he will get better, and I, I think he's good enough to play at this level. But if you're TCU, if, if you want to get back to where you were, and I'm not even just saying you know national championship, you've got the resources to bring in better players. So I, I, I do think that's something that they've got to focus on. And uh, you know, there's look, they, they they put a lot of chips forward to get Kendall Bryles there. That offense needs to be better. And I'm not sure how much of a pass I give them, you know, overall, uh, even with the backup quarterback in there. They should be a lot better than they are. Uh, Hoover had a game last night like Texas Tech's true freshman had when they had the injuries. And, you know, they he chunked the ball a lot. But when you're a freshman, I don't care if you're Peyton Manning or whoever, you throw the ball 52 times in a game, you're going to throw a couple of pa- a bad picks. And the last one, of course, was not the last one. The one before that was deadly at that particular time. Josh, thank you very much for the time. On Fridays, Josh Neighbors.
Rogue Media Network.com. <laughs>